John chapter 18, starting in verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now drop down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. So this text chronicles for us the denial of Peter, Peter's denial of the Lord, and got me thinking of famous denials. As I thought of famous betrayals, I thought of famous denials. And the two that come to mind are presidential denials. Okay, So going back in our history of U.S. presidents, the first one that comes to my mind, of course, was Richard M. Nixon, who got busted in uh, Watergate and he was famous for denying his implications in the Watergate scandal by saying, I am not a criminal, right? I am not a criminal. He denied his part in the Watergate scandal. Of course, the other one that comes to mind is good old Bill Clinton, who got busted in the White House doing something else that was not recording your political enemies, and I won't go into the details. You can look it up. Uh, perhaps it's in your history courses. Kind of hard to fathom even that. I mean, I remember living through it, and it's like to think of that as history, but when accused of whether or not he had sexual relations with the intern, he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Both of them denied the truth. Both of them denied what they were caught in. And that is our first instinct, right? When you get caught in something, your first instinct is to deny it. I didn't do it, right? You go to your kid who, who you know, you say, don't eat any cookies before dinner, and they, they're, they're caught with their hand in the cookie jar, and you say, did you take cookies? Their first instinct is to say, no, Mom, I didn't take cookies, when they have cookie crumbs falling from their mouth, and you know that they're lying to you. Our first instinct is to deny. And that's what we see here in this passage. As Peter's first instinct when confronted with whether or not he is Jesus' disciple, his first instinct is to deny. To deny. We're going to see brave Peter, bold Peter here, fold under pressure. That's a sad story. It is a sad story. And like Peter, we have all denied the Lord. That's going to be the theme this morning. Like Peter... We have all denied the Lord. But the good news is that when we are faithless, He is faithful. 
That is what we're going to see this morning. Now first, we're going to look at the first denial in verses 15 through 18, as I will read these again for you. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and went with him into the courtyard of the high priest. And went with Jesus, I should say, into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, and the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then, then the servant girl who kept the, uh, kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Now, unlike the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, what they do is they show Jesus in trial, and then they cut to Peter's denials, and they put all of Peter's denials in one sort of account. John does something a little different. He kind of weaves Peter's denials uh, into the account of Jesus uh, before Annas being questioned. It is a back and forth. So, you know, if really, if you were to take the entire passage from verse 12 all the way to verse 27, you would have Jesus before the high priest, Peter denying the Lord. Jesus before the high priest again, Peter denying the Lord. And we're going to see why I think John weaves these scenes as he does in a moment. But as Jesus has been arrested, that's what we saw last time, right? Verses 12 through 14 show how Jesus is arrested. He is detained by the detachment of troops. They bind him and they bring him to the, to the home of the high priest. As that is happening, if you remember in the earlier accounts, the other accounts, the minute that Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples have fled, right? Mark 14, 50 says, and they fled after Jesus was arrested, after Jesus was taken by the soldiers to, to the high priest. However, what we see here in verse 15 is that Peter, after initially fleeing, sort of works up the courage. He musters the courage to follow Jesus. Again, remember, Peter has always been about, wherever you go, Lord, that's where I'm going to go. Right? If you remember during the upper room discourse, he says, where can, are you going that I cannot follow? Peter wants to be with his Lord, so he works up the courage and he drags another disciple. Uh, most presumably, the consensus opinion is that this other disciple, this other unnamed disciple, is John, the author of this gospel. So you can imagine, it's like they flee and then Peter's like, wait a second. And he goes to John and says, we got to go and see what's going to happen. we got to go and, 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 and check, it, check this out. Maybe we could do something about this. Now we're told that this other disciple was known by the high priest. It doesn't mean that he knew who he was. It was sort of, it, this means more than that, I should, I should say. It's like an intimate type of knowledge. And people are like, well, how can John, who was a fisherman, whose father was a fisherman, know the high priest? And there's, there's kind of answers. There's, there's some speculation as to that. Um, one is that his father, Zebedee, uh, was probably a, a very wealthy man because he was able to hire servants to help him, hire employees to help him in his fishing business. So perhaps he was a sort of higher up in Jewish society and maybe he knew the high priest that way. Maybe there was a family relation. Whatever the case may be, the consensus that this unnamed disciple is John and that he was known by the high priest. 
So we see there, they come to the courtyard. Now this courtyard, remember the high priest, Annas, is not technically the high priest. It is his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who is technically the high priest. So this would more than likely be the home of Annas. And like any, many of the homes of particularly wealthy people in those days, they would have had an outer courtyard that was sort of enclosed. You would have to enter through a gate. So they're, they're into the courtyard, this enclosed open space. But Peter is left outside because he is not known by the high priest. And then John goes to the servant girl and says, let my friend in. So Peter comes in. That's setting the stage. Now it's at that moment that Peter comes in that the girl who is there, the doorkeeper of this courtyard, turns to Peter and says this question, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Now the question more than likely is not asked in an accusatory tone, as in you should be tried too. It could just be an innocent question. Or it could be a question of sort of disdain, a question of disbelief. Like, you couldn't possibly be this man's disciples, right? One of his disciples. You're not one of those guys, are you? Either way, Peter is apparently caught off guard. He was not expecting to be questioned by the servant girl at the door. And he abruptly replies, I am not. Are you one of this man's disciples? I am not one of this man's disciples. And that phrase, am not, is important. We're going to see that as well in a moment. But we see here then, Peter perhaps wishing to avoid any further conversation with this girl or anybody else, retreats as he sees soldiers and servants building a fire because it was chilly that night. He goes and says, okay, I'm going to avoid the questions here and just go and warm myself here by the fire. Now, at this point, perhaps it doesn't seem as if Peter is quite yet aware of it, but he is about to fulfill the words that Jesus spoke to him back in the upper room. If you remember back in chapter 13, at the end, again, if you remember, Peter has always been one who is, where are you going, Lord, that I cannot follow? So in John 13, verse 36, after Jesus says, I must go away, he says, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay my life down for your sake. We looked at that last time. And when we looked at this passage too. I don't doubt Peter's sincerity. I don't doubt that Peter was serious about this. I will lay my life down for your sake. And Jesus answers. You can almost feel the mild rebuke. Will you lay your life down for my sake? Will you really, Peter, lay your life down for my sake? And then these chilling words, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow to you. You've denied me three times. Peter's one down. Strike one, right? You're battering the batter's box. Strike one. He has denied the Lord the first time. He's caught off guard. And I think what this shows, if anything, among the many things it shows, I should say, is how easy it is to slip into sin. How easy it is to be caught off guard, regardless of whatever your besetting sin is. And you know what those are. I don't need to elaborate. But it's so easy to get fall back into that. 
If you're an, an angry person, you're prone to lose your temper. It's so easy to have just something that you weren't even expecting five seconds ago to trigger that angry response and you lash out. Or perhaps you are addicted to some substance, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever the case may be. And that one thing, all of a sudden, five seconds ago, you weren't thinking about it, and now all of a sudden you're caught back up into that trap. So easy to be caught off guard. Peter did not go into the courtyard expecting to deny his Lord, yet he is confronted. He is there in, if you will, enemy territory. He is alone. John is not there anymore with him. He's there with soldiers and servants. And he is asked, are you one of this man's disciples? And immediately his first response triggers to self-preservation. I am not. So easy to fall prey to sin. I think of the words of God to Cain in the, you know, outside of the garden in Genesis chapter 4 where he says, beware, sin is lurking at your door and it desires to have you. I mean, just when you think you've conquered sin, think again. So easy to fall prey to sin. Well, in John's narrative, he then spends verses 19 through 24 to follow up on the questioning of Jesus by the high priest. We looked at that last week, but then dropping down to verse 25, John returns to Peter in the courtyard. So Peter, confronted by the servant girl, goes to, the, to the, those who are around the fire, thinking he can escape the questions, but he is now, no pun intended, out of the frying pan and in the fire as he's by the fire. And there he is, hoping to get away from the inquiring eyes of the servant girl. Peter arouses interest from those who are near him there. Look at verse 25. Now Peter, Simon Peter, stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. I'm not sure how they figured out that Peter wasn't among... Perhaps his dialect, he would have been a Galilean. These are maybe Palestinian Jews. So perhaps he had a dialect. Perhaps he had a way of speaking that triggered this, this question. But they, the servants and the officers around the fire, they ask him nearly the same identical question as the servant girl. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? Peter, for the second time, replies, I am not. I am not. And then, in an account only found in John's Gospel, we find that the last person here who triggers a response is this relative of Malchus. You're like, well, who's Malchus? Well, just go up a few verses in chapter 18, in verse 10, when Peter or when Jesus is about to be arrested, Peter draws his sword and he takes a swipe at somebody and he clips the guy's ear off. Well, that's Malchus, okay? So this guy who confronts Peter at the fire is a relative of his. And he says to him, did I not see you in the garden with him? So now this is even more. This is closer to the truth, right? Before they were just asking, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Now a guy who is there says, did I not see you in the garden? Weren't you there with him? We're not told exactly what Peter said, but he says we're just told that he denied again. And then the rooster crowed. 
for the third time. The other Gospels are a little more graphic about Peter's response. In Mark chapter 14, verse 71, verse 70, we see here he denied it again. Then a little later, those who stood by said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, your speech shows it. So there they, you know, that's how they knew he wasn't one of them. Then verse 71, but he began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. This is more than just saying, I am not one of his disciples. He gets angry. He invokes a curse, begins to swear. I am not one of this man's disciples. I don't, not, I don't even know the man of whom you speak. Luke's account gets even more personal. In Luke 22, verse 61, after Peter invoked a curse and said, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I don't think it was an accusatory look. I just think the Lord looked at Peter and said, I told you, Peter, you would deny me three times. Why would Peter deny his Lord? How could Peter deny his Lord, bold Peter, who just a few hours was, was getting ready to take on the entire cohort of 600 soldiers by himself with one sword. Peter, who earlier claimed that he would never deny his Lord, even though the others would. Peter, who said, I would die for you, Lord, rather than deny you. Peter, who was the leader of the twelve, how could he deny his Lord? Why would he deny his Lord? Well, temptation, spiritual warfare. He is alone. He's by himself. Jesus is not at his side. And when he denied his Lord and he heard the rooster crow and he remembered, all the Gospels tell us that Peter fled and wept bitterly now it would be far too easy to criticize Peter right how could you do this Peter why would you do this you were there for the entire three year ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ how could you the leader of the twelve do this you tempted to say that I know I'm tempted to say that I'm tempted to say every time I read through the book of Exodus, how could you worship a golden calf when 40 days earlier you saw the Lord split the Red Sea for you? And then I feel, then I remember, you got to turn the mirror back on yourself, right? Whenever you're tempted to say, how could this man do that? When you see something in the Bible, turn the mirror on yourself. We all fall victim to the same failings, right? We all fall victim to sin. 
may not be that particular sin. Maybe it's another one. And where you may be weak, I could be strong, and vice versa. Where I'm weak in something, you might be strong. So you may not be able to understand my particular failings in a particular sin, but we all fail. We all fall. Peter is no different than us. We are Peter. Peter is us. Now, several points can be made about this. First, the reason I believe John weaves these narratives as he does, showing Jesus and then Peter, then Jesus and then Peter, is to show the contrast. Right? What did Jesus say earlier when they asked, uh, we are, they, when the soldiers came and they, they came to arrest Jesus and Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. What did Jesus say? I am. Where Jesus says, I am. What does Peter say? I am not. Are you one of this man's disciples? I am not. Where Jesus says, I am, Peter says, I am not. Second thing we could take away from this. Peter was bold. Right? Peter in the garden with Jesus next to him was willing to take on the entire Roman army, if you will. Draws a sword and begins taking swipes at people. He was bold when he had Jesus next to him. Peter was able to walk on water when he was fixing his eyes on the Lord and the Lord said, come on out on the water. The water's fine, Peter. But he succumbed to fear when he was alone in the courtyard. Jesus is not there. Jesus is being questioned. Jesus is being uh, unjustly treated. Jesus is being struck in the face by the Roman soldiers and by the servants of the high priest while Peter is alone in the courtyard denying his Lord. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity, beloved. <laughs> There's no Christianity by yourself. There's no, I'm just going to be me and my Bible off. So you need the fellowship of the saints. You need the communion of the saints. Alone we are weak, right? What does Peter say himself, right? This is Peter later on, after he's been restored, in his first epistle says, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What do lions do when they hunt? They hunt the weak. They hunt the lame. They hunt those who are drifting away from the pack. Those are the ones the lions go after. The ones who are not part of the pack. Peter knew that because Peter was the one who was not in the pack. Peter was alone. Third thing we could take away from this, spiritual warfare is real. It is evident here. Peter was weak. Peter was alone. Peter was confronted with fear, in fear of his life. Satan is trying to sift Peter. If you remember from Luke's account of the time that he predicts Peter's denials, and he says to him, the Lord said to Peter, Simon, Simon. That's like when, when your parents are angry at you and they use your full name, right? Carl Frederick. When, when my mom said Carl Frederick, I knew I was in trouble because no one ever used my middle name for anything, Okay. Same thing with Peter. When Jesus calls him Simon, he's like, Ugh. right? It's you know, Simon's his old name. Peter is the name that, that Jesus gave, gives him, and he calls him. He says, Simon, Simon. 
And he's now talking to the, he calls Peter and, he, and he's ca- talking to all the 12. And he says, Satan has asked for all of you that he may sift you as wheat. Then he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, I have prayed for you. You are going to be under trial, Peter. You're going to deny me, but I have prayed for you. Spiritual warfare is real. Satan wants to sift not just Peter, not just the disciples. He wants to sift all of us like wheat. Now, if Peter's eternal soul was dependent on his ability to stand firm under the trial, he would fail miserably. That's what we see in our passage. Peter, in his own strength, what does he do? He denies his Lord, not once, not twice, but three strikes, and he was out. And we are no different than Peter. Again, we are no different from Peter. That's what we need to take from this. We may talk a good game, but in the heat of the moment, we will fail and fail spectacularly. And if you didn't fail, and if you don't fail, it was because the Holy Spirit gave you strength and courage to stand firm. I may have referenced this last week, but when Matthew sends out, or when Jesus sends out the twelve in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter ten, he sends out the twelve, and they're going to go and evangelize throughout the land of Israel. But then he talks, you know, he he seems to shift his time focus because he seems to be talking now about those who will come after the disciples in verses 16 and following, because he he mentions things that the twelve, when they were going about from town to town in in Israel, did not face. But he says in chapter 10, uh, verse 19 of Matthew's Gospel, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. We fail spectacularly, but the Spirit of God strengthen us, strengthens us in those times of testing and trial so that we can stand firm. If it was up to us, we would fail, but because God gives us the Spirit, we will succeed. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul's final letter before he dies. And he is giving Timothy some encouraging words before he knows he's about to go on and be with the Lord to be poured out as a drink offering, as he says later in the book. But in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, starting in verse 11, he gives a faithful saying. And if you're using the Pew Bible or one, you know, maybe a Bible, you might see that these verses indented in sort of poetic form. Some would say that this is probably like an old confession of faith that was sort of incorporated into Paul's letter. But here he says, this is a faithful saying. This is a, this is a trustworthy saying. And he goes on. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now you may look at that and say, well, well, Peter denied him, right? So then he's going to deny Peter. That's not what it's talking about. He's not talking about denying Christ under pressure. It's talking about denying Christ as the way of salvation. If you deny that, if you reject Christ's offer of salvation, then in a sense you have confirmed that the Father has denied you. But then in verse 13, if we are faithless, if we are faithless, Jesus is faithful. When we fall prey to our sin, we are often faithless, beloved. We are often faithless, but Jesus is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He will not deny his body, the church. This passage recounts Peter's greatest failure as he denies the Lord in the heat of the moment and fulfills Jesus' earlier prediction. You will deny me, Peter. You will not die for me. You will deny me. As I've been saying, we are all Peter. We have all at some point in our lives denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Our spirits, like Peter's, may have been willing, but our flesh, in the heat of the moment, becomes weak. But take this to heart. Again, when we say, I am not, what is Jesus saying? I am. I am. When we are faithless, He is faithful. And beloved, the good news in this is that this is not the last word on Peter. Peter turns away and weeps bitterly over the fact that he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But, if you will please turn to John chapter 21 at the end. Starting in verse 15. This is some days after the resurrection. And Peter has been waiting and waiting. And he says, let's just go fishing, guys. Let's just do what we know to do. Just go fishing. And all the others are like, yep, let's go fishing. I'm sure you guys, many of you guys here are kind of, let's go fishing, right? You know, let's just do what we know to do. They go fishing. And then they don't pick up anything. And then Jesus appears to them on the shore and says, throw your net over here. And they catch this huge catch of fish. And that triggers a thought in Peter's mind. It's like, I remember this story. <laughs> Peter's like, I remember when the Lord did this earlier. And he runs out to see Jesus. And in verse 15 of chapter 21, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restores Peter three times. 
Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Where we are faithless, he is faithful. Jesus graciously restores Peter. Remember what he said earlier, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Interestingly enough, the same Peter who denied the Lord Jesus Christ when he was confronted by a servant girl later, after the Holy Spirit was given, stood boldly before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. You remember again, Matthew said, or Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, when you stand before governors and rulers, you will be given what to say. And this happened in very short order. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were preaching the gospel and they were brought in and arrested. And it came to pass on the next day, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5, that the rulers, elders, and priests, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked him, By what power and by what name have you done this? This is the healing of the lame man. Then Peter, what does it say there in verse 8? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He's no longer frightened anymore. He's got the Holy Spirit to encourage him and strengthen him. He said to the rulers of his people, elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you and all to the people and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is Peter now no longer denying the Lord. This is Peter now in the strength of the Holy Spirit giving, given words to say to the leaders who were arresting him. Peter is just as alone here as he was in the courtyard on that night. He is just as surrounded by as many uh, enemies as he was in the courtyard that night. Yet here, Peter boldly speaks in the power of the Holy Spirit before the Sanhedrin. Jesus graciously restores Peter. Jesus graciously restores us when we fall and when we fail. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, Jesus prays for us that our faith will not fail either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we see here a case of failure in the strength of our own abilities when we are alone, when we are afraid when we are succumbed to the temptations of this world, we see far too often, Lord, we fail and we fall. But we know, Lord, that if we are faithless, you are faithful. If we are in Christ, there's nothing that will ever shake us loose from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen these dear ones here, that you will encourage them by this word, that they may go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, and boldly bear witness to the world of the love of Christ that is theirs in the gospel. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.